Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with WatsonX Governance. Learn more at ibm.com slash governance. IBM. Let's create. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. You know, Julie, science has done some good things for us. It's done a lot of good things. I mean, it has really forwarded humanity, right? And, yeah. and made us... In some ways, the the kind of success story of the species that we are. Yeah, it's kind of the skeleton of human culture, the the thing upon which we grow and continue to grow. And you know, and you can look at just about any area, right? Medical science, exploration of inner and outer space, um, increasing uh, knowledge of the self, the brain, the connection, our connection to the from the brain to the body. I mean, pretty much everything we talk about every week is uh, is a testament to what science is doing and has done for humans. And while the pursuit of science or what we think about as science has been around for a very long time, this pursuit of knowledge and truth, the word scientist is only 180 years old before that a person might be called a natural philosopher. And before that, you had economists, you had uh, philosophers, and what we now call scientists, all commingling under the same roof. And this affected how science and, and how we think of it was defined and pursued. And we sort of assume that science and the scientific method were in place from the get-go. But in fact, they hadn't really been defined and the rules tightened, uh, you know, until a couple hundred years ago because economists were pulling for deductive reasoning. 
right? And scientists uh, were saying, no, I think there's there's more of this inductive reasoning, which is this premise that you you take an idea. Mm-hmm. And then you try to take it down to the studs and prove it wrong, even though you might want it to be right. Right. And the whole idea there is that you're trying to get at this kind of truth. And this is uh, now something called the scientific method. But we sort of take this for granted, this this fact that this is only a fairly recent development in the long history of humans. Yeah, I mean, it's it's basically how science works. There were people who managed to make it work in the past, but it wasn't until recently that we actually said, this is what works, and this is what we should stick to. Now, a lot of um, the advances in the 20th, 21st century, you can uh, you can boil down to uh, a simple idea, trust, but verif- verify. And this plays into our, our peer review system, right? One scientist uh, writes a paper, uh, or a team of scientists write a paper. Maybe there's a big breakthrough in it, maybe not. But then the idea is that their peers come along, Look at the paper and try to replicate the results. Just uh, you know, tear it apart, see what's happening in the paper, and say yes, I agree, this is working, or ah, I have problems with this or that, or this is complete bunk. Yeah, I mean, it's this idea that science can police itself, and yet we have some statistics coming out that point to other factors going on, and that perhaps we're not pursuing knowledge for knowledge itself in some cases, or truth, and and, uh, we'll discuss more of those factors in a bit. According to The Economist's article, How Science Goes Wrong, in 2012, biotech firm Amgen reported that they could reproduce just six of 53 landmark studies in cancer research. And earlier, uh, Bayer, the drug company, managed to repeat just a quarter of 67 similarly important papers. Now, we're not taking on this topic today because we think that we are experts on this topic, but by no stretch of the imagination are we. But we do rely on a lot of studies. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to point this out today to just for ourselves better understand what are the conditions that lead to a good, solid study or experiment? And what are the conditions that lead to dubious data? Yeah, certainly worth keeping in mind, too, when you find yourself uh, reading science journalism articles, you know, uh, that asking yourself, well, what is this study? You know, what uh, are there problems in it? What could the problems be? Uh, Because we'll we'll discuss there are a number of uh, problems that can and do occur in modern peer reviewed science. Now, one of the things that will come up sometimes when people write on this topic is careerism as one of the factors that is problematic. And that's because we've all heard the maxim, publish or perish, Mm -hmm. right? And the spirit of it is not so bad. I mean, the spirit of it is really like less than a threat and more like, hey, this is a challenge to push science forward. Uh, Put forth your multiple lines of evidence, your hypotheses, your theories, uh, because we all want to share information. We want to tease it apart. We want to try to validate it or invalidate it and generally create a better understanding of the topic or the issue. So, again, it's an attempt at reaching some sort of truth. And yet the reality of publish or perish now is more that it's uh, this kind of pressure to produce. So it's not enough for, say, a faculty member at a university to write a few really good papers a year. Now they have this pressure to write several. And so there's this idea that questionable results could come out of this. And instead of maybe making it to a first-tier journal, maybe that data goes to a third-tier journal. And yet it shouldn't necessarily go 
any place. And the problem, as outlined in the Economist article, How Science Goes Wrong, is, quote, in order to safeguard their exclusivity, the leading journals impose high rejection rates in excess of 90% of submitted manuscripts. The most striking findings have the greatest chance of making it onto the page. Little wonder that one in three researchers knows of a colleague who has pepped up a paper by, say, excluding inconvenient data from results based on a gut feeling. So what we're talking about here is cherry-picking information. And then all of this, this kind of careerism, is compounded by the pressure to generate grant funding. So there's this idea that more and more scientists are having a bigger percentage of their salary covered by contingent or research funding dollars. So that means that you now have this pressure to keep the flow of funding going with positive results. So you can say, yeah, see, this is exactly what I thought was going to happen. It's proving out. Um, it, it, that shouldn't be the case. Right. There, there shouldn't be those sort of strings tied to it and in an ideal world. That wouldn't be the case, but that's what we're dealing with. And then there's this failures to prove a hypothesis are actually rarely offered for publication, let alone accepted. Uh, you know, and you can sort of squirrel away a lot of this to, you know, what scientific journal doesn't want to be on the forefront of science, you know, full of amazing new discoveries and, 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 and wonderful new ideas, right? That's, you know, that's really essential to the overall drive of science. You don't want to fill your, your paper with a bunch of failures, right? But the failures are important, right? You need to know what hasn't worked so you can try and figure out what does work. You need to know what's false so you can figure out what's true. Yet in 2013, negative results accounted for only 14% of published papers, and that was down from 30% in 1990. And then in a similar uh, vein, we see the peer review process um, often uh, sees peers missing the errors in the paper. The very thing they're supposed to do is you know, figure out what's what's potentially wrong with this work. So both of these tend to uh, you know, handicap the process to a certain extent. You know, it's interesting because my daughter's school has nine different design principles of education, and this is something that they actually present to the students. So kindergartners mm-hmm. are being taught about failure and actually celebrating failure for this very reason, because yeah. the idea, again, is that you cannot have successes without failures. And it uh, makes me think about Edison and the light bulb and the 100-plus iterations of the light bulb, all the failures that preceded those. And yet, that's not the flashy stuff, right? That's not what necessarily a first-tier journal is going after. Like, hey, tell me about your spectacular failure. Yeah. Like, I keep thinking about science in terms of a slime mold. We did a, an episode on the slime mold way back where you'd put a slime mold in a maze, and it's solving the maze to get to resources on the outside of the maze. And so these tendrils of slime mold are trailing through the maze, and if they reach a dead end, then that tendril dies and fades back, and it doesn't go down that way again. And science kind of works the same way. But you need to know which where the dead ends are. Otherwise, you're just going to keep sending your tendrils down there. Well, and then it's also... This is such an elegant analogy because they're going after that sugar, right? Mm-hmm. That, that resource. And so they're eventually going to find themselves to the success story of the resource. But then it becomes this question of, is that resource, that piece of sugar that the slime mold is after, is this truth or mm-hmm. is this money? And we'll talk uh. a little bit more about that later. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. 
Remember when you first saw the potential, and then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed a 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Dad deserves something really nice for Father's Day. But let's face it, we usually don't do it. Big gifts are for Mother's Day. Picking something up on the way is for Father's Day. Well, let's make Father's Day something this year with the Bartesian Cocktail Maker. It whips up over 60 premium cocktails on demand, each ready at the push of a button. And right now, you get $50 off the Bartesian Cocktail Maker when you buy one pack of Dad's favorite cocktail capsules. Dad will publicly love that you saved 50 on the countertop machine that crafts premium cocktails on demand. And he'll secretly love that you splurged on him for Father's Day with the gift of a Bartesian. Because the only thing that lets Dad know he's the worst world's number one dad better than a world's number one dad coffee mug is an artisan cocktail in his hand. Make dad's Father's Day and Father's Day cocktails with all natural juices and bitters without making any mess at all. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash father to get $50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian. Premium cocktails on demand. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billings, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. 
But I thought at this point I would go ahead and drop in a little information about overgeneralization and extrapolation of results because this can occur in two ways. The first is applying findings from one target group to another target group within the same population. So an example would be you have this new cholesterol drug and it's been tested on females age uh, ages 30 to 50. Well, you can't make the assumption that the drug can also do the same thing for a different population, say women over 65 or men. Uh, the second fallacy is applying the survey results to populations not living in the area of the survey. So this is this to me was very clear cut. Let's say that you're trying to establish the mortality rate for a certain neighborhood within a zip code. Okay. All right. You do the research, you do the surveying, and you you've got your data. Now it would be beneficial to find out what other neighborhoods' mortality rate, but you make the assumption that just because the borders of this other neighborhood are butting up against the one that you've just surveyed, that they have the same mortality rate. Well, that is erroneous thinking because as we know and we have seen over and over again, you can have really poor neighborhoods butting up against very prosperous ones. And that skews the data because the very prosperous ones are going to have a far different mortality rate than a poor neighborhood. And yet these are some of the the things that leak in uh, with studies and experiments. And then, of course, there is conflict of interest, which is a, a, a big one. Uh, and we can uh, date a lot of this uh, back to the, um, the Bao-Dole Act of 1980. And this came along to encourage technology transfer from universities to industry, uh, the idea being that it would uh, facilitate uh, financial relationships between uh, academic biomedical researchers and the biotechnology industry. And, you know, obviously, there's a lot of good that was going to come out of this and has come out of this. Uh, they lead, these, uh, these relationships lead to the development of improved drugs and medical devices. Uh, but on the other hand, there's this huge financial aspect of the relationship. A financial relationship emerges, relationships that can cause conflicts of interest between a researcher's scientific and ethical principles and that gleam of financial gain. Coming back around to what you said about what is the, what is the bait on the outside of the maze? Is it uh, is it knowledge and understanding? Is it is it uh, in- increasing our scientific understanding of a particular ailment, or is it mere financial gain? And of course, financial gain for a biomedical uh, corporation tends to boil down to treatment. The drugs that can be thrown at a particular ailment, the medical devices that can be thrown at a particular ailment. And in a 2009 study from Dr. Reshma Jangzi, an assistant professor of radiation oncology at the University of Michigan Medical School, compared 1,534 studies involving cancer research, found that studies with, with industry funding focused on treatment again, drugs, medical devices, 62% of the time compared to 36% of the time for other studies not funded by industry. And the studies funded by industry focused on epidemiology, prevention, risk factor screening, and other diagnostic methods only 20% of the time versus 47% for studies with no declared industry funding. So the, the, the take-home here seems to be the more money is involved, uh, from these, uh, from the biotech industry, the more focus there is going to be on the mere treatment of an ailment versus, uh, um, you know, actually being able to prevent it um, or figure out how to screen it through looking at risk factors. 
which might lead to uh, misleading statistics or interpretation about the data. And what I'm talking about is absolute versus relative percentages. This is from the article, Bad Science, Common Problems in Research Articles. This was published on Health Readings. Quote, suppose that there was a medical problem that caused two people in one million to have a stroke. And suppose there was a treatment that would reduce the problem to only one person in one million. This would be an improvement of 0.0001% in an absolute sense. Or, or as this author says, no big deal, right? Mm-hmm. However, if it had been reported using relative percentages, it could have been stated, quote, new medical treatment yields a 50% reduction in, reduction in risk of stroke. And this would be very misleading, but it's unfortunately a common practice that you see from time to time. And so, again, you see how that's, it's not exactly wrong. It is a 50% mm-hmm. reduction in the two in one million people, but it's not really accurate. Yeah. Saying it that yeah, way. Yeah, it's just how, how do you end up using, how does it affect the overall statistics that you're dealing with? Right. Yeah, semantics matter. Mm-hmm. Now, another area of concern is that of unpublished clinical trials. A 2012 study from Yale School of Medicine uh, researchers found that fewer than half of a sample of trials, primarily or partially funded by the National Institutes of Health, were published within 30 months of completing the clinical trial. So in other words, the research findings here are not being disseminated half the time. So the scientific process is disrupted, undermining the effort and the available material for peer review. Now, according to study author uh, Dr. Joseph Ross, there are probably a number of reasons for lack of publication, such as not getting accepted by a journal, and we already hit on the high rejection rates, uh, or not prioritizing the dissemination of research findings in the study. Either way, though, this disrupts uh, the the process. This disrupts the the, the strengths of the peer review uh, system. Another factor uh, is something called selective observation. Now, you've probably experienced your own selective observation before. My example is uh, every time I get into the shower, my phone rings, <laughs> right? Uh, and it's a perception that is based on the annoyance of my phone ringing and my inability to get to it. Uh, but then I, you know, I, I tended to, to disregard all the times that my phone didn't ring while I was in the shower. And so I was practicing confirmation bias and ignoring the other data, skewing my own statistics. So selective observation in science is essentially trying to land on a conclusion based on an existing bias or belief. For example, a researcher who's studying obesity may have a bias that obese people lack willpower And as a result, they may construct an experiment that involves a plate of donuts in a conference room at work. But if that researcher only records data about obese subjects and doesn't record non-obese subjects, well, then they have a biased experiment on their hands. In other words, uh, if they don't go out of their way to try to prove themselves wrong, they're not exercising the principles of scientific method. Hmm. All right, you know, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we will discuss... Weird science. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like 
feels like or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Father's Day is coming. A day we celebrate the guy who's always there for us. To crack a dad joke. Well, you know what's not a dad joke? Getting $50 off the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker with the purchase of his favorite cocktail capsule pack. $50 off. No dad joke. See, this is a dad joke. I lost my glasses today, and guess who I bumped into? Everyone. But the Bartesian cocktail maker? It's no joke. Each cocktail capsule contains real fruit juices and all-natural bitters, so Dad can make over 60 premium cocktails he loves. Sidecars, old fashions, gimlets, all with the push of a button. So, for the dad who loves a cocktail with friends and a good joke from time to time, get the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. $50 off now until Father's Day. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash father to get 50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billings, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. All right, we're back. Weird science, weird psychology, and I'm not talking about the... uh, 80s movie. 80s movie. <laughs> Classic as it is. Um, no, weird is a uh, phenomenon that plagues a lot of psychology and other social science studies. 
This is when the protestants are overwhelmingly, this is where weird comes in, Western, E for educated, and they're from I for industrialized, R for rich, and D for democratic countries. So weird humans are serving as the, the, the basic test subjects in a lot of these studies. And you can also add in that weird humans are also often college students uh, in the United States participating in studies for class credit. So especially in the social sciences, the risk is that uh, so-called weird populations are actually the outliers of human population as opposed to a good standard example of human behavior. And, uh, you know, you see this... you. you you see shades of this time and time again, right? You look at a study, and it was clearly a study that was conducted on campus with uh, students. And in your better studies, you see them branching out from that and saying, uh, uh, well, all right, in this first study, we looked at students, but then we went into uh, an impoverished neighborhood. Or in some cases, then we looked at some uh, U.S. Uh, uh, participants, then we also went and looked at some participants in Hong Kong, that sort of thing. Um and so, obviously, there are a lot, there's a lot to consider here with the software of psychology, right? Because there's so much about human culture and, uh, and, and your, you know, relations within your particular group. But it also bleeds into the hardware of physiology. In 2014, Liverpool University, uh, had a study examining rapid eye movements called saccades among groups of mainland Chinese, British Chinese, and white British test subjects. And he found that Chinese ethnicity was more of a factor than culture in high saccade counts. So the mainland Chinese group scored high saccade numbers, as did the British Chinese counterparts, uh, despite the many cultural differences between the two groups. So lead author Dr. Paul Knox argued, quote, the human brain is not just amazingly complex in general, but also highly variable across the human population. Hmm. And that variability takes us to the next entry here, which is animals. Now, we have talked about how much rodents have um, contributed to science, and they absolutely have. Uh, But we do have problems where animal studies do not reliably predict human outcomes. And this topic is really a complex one, but there's a paper on the topic by Michael B. Bracken, who's from Yale University, and he writes in his paper, Why Animal Studies Are Often Poor Predictors of Human Reactions to Exposure, that one reason is probably because uh, animal experiments do not translate into replications in human trials or into cancer chemo prevention because they're poorly designed, conducted, and analyzed Now, another possible contribution to failure to replicate the results of animal research in humans is that reviews and summaries of evidence from animal research are inadequate when it comes to methodology. In one survey, only 1 in 10,000 Medline records of animal studies were tagged as being meta-analyses compared to 1 in 1,000 human studies. And in recent reports, the poor quality of research was documented by a comprehensive search of Medline, which found only 25 systematic reviews of animal research. Other studies similarly found only 30 and 57 systematic reviews of any type of animal research. And so uh, the reason that Bracken points this out is because he says these kind of deficiencies are important because animal research often provides the rationale for hypotheses studied by epidemiologists and clinical researchers. 
Moreover, if you look at the genetics of this, it gets even more uh, muddled. And the reason for that is because with rodents, when, and one of the reasons why we use them is because we can change their genetic background. Within a couple of generations, we can tinker with the genes. And that's great because that can really help us to study certain conditions. However, um, those rodents would yield really consistent results in disease expression. But humans, we are far more wild west when it comes to genetics and the genetic background, and that would factor in how the human disease is expressed, and this would yield a mismatch in results between humans and animals. It's a layer cake of animal confusion. Yes, indeed it is. Um, now, on top of everything we've discussed here, there are plenty of additional methodological pitfalls. And we're, uh, we're going to include a, a, a link on the landing page for this episode to a fabulous page that has a list of about 60 of them. And we're not going to go into all into detail on all of them here, but just to give you an example, this includes the likes of placebo effect, which we've uh, discussed uh, at length before, and in which the uh, the uh, individual receiving the uh, the sugar pill ends up actually getting some sort of biological benefit from from the medication or the, the fake medication. Uh, carryover effect, where the results of one study are are uh, observed in a secondary study uh, without realizing it, and then magnitude blindness, the tendency to become preoccupied with statistically significant results that nevertheless, nevertheless have a small magnitude on effect. I feel like that comes into play a lot when I look at um, some of the stuff that's new mm-hmm. in, that's being reported in the media. It's very exciting, right? You go, oh, wow, look at this insight. And then when you get into the specifics of the study, it's just, it's not that significant. Right. Doesn't quite match up to that snappy headline. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So how does science correct course? What can be done about the, these problems we've discussed? Well, um, just to talk uh, briefly about um, the use of statistics and uh, managing potential conflicts, uh, those financial conflicts we, uh, we mentioned earlier, conflicts of interest. Um, the general idea that the experts put, put forth is that we need to simplify, standardize, and better enforce policies to manage financial conflicts of interest, and uh, that science needs to keep a better eye on statistics, by which we mean, of course, uh, the statistical validity and the statistical errors inherent in the system. Another thing is to encourage replication. And again, this is from the Economist article, uh, quote, some government funding agencies, including America's National Institutes of Health, which dish out 30 billion on research each year, are working out how to best encourage replication and growing numbers of scientists, especially young ones, understand statistics. Another area is allocating space in journals for uninteresting studies <laughs> which which is which is crazy because if you think about it in terms of say um, you know a literary fiction publication you would never in a million years have anyone suggest hey we should make room in uh, this uh, this review for bad fiction you know a certain amount that we're always just going to include bad fiction but the idea here is that scientific journals should allocate space for the less jazzy the less sexy stuff because that too is essential now i i'm wishing for a journal called the Humdrum Studies Journal. <laughs> Uninteresting Studies Journal. Now, another solution would be to tighten peer review. So perhaps dispensing with it altogether. And again, that's from the Economist article. And so if you dispense with it altogether, what would you do? Well, you would have post-publication evaluation in the form of appended comments. 
And they say that that system has worked well in recent years in physics and mathematics. And lastly, policymakers should ensure that institutions using public money also respect the rules. So picking up, uh, again, to the potholes that we had mentioned, one of them is also skills neglect. And this is that human disposition to resist learning new scholarly methods that may be pertinent to a research problem. And so that would also factor into peer review is just making sure that while you're reviewing something else, that your own knowledge of the topic is up to snuff. And finally, when it comes to weird populations, I mean, the big thing is just to be aware of it. To, when you're when you're sampling, uh, when you're using samples uh, from you know, the immediate uh, collegiate environment, to be aware of it and maybe be less uh, cavalier about uh, uh, saying that you have identified something that is in you know basic in general uh, human nature. Of course, we should end this episode with the study of all studies, <laughs> which is that. There are too many studies. Yes, this was, I believe the, the title was Attention Decay in Science, um, which is snazzy. Um, and it, it basically just comes down to the fact that there are just so many studies coming out now in so many journals. They've just exploded uh, since the, uh, the earlier days uh, uh, in the uh, 20th century. Yeah, and it's hard for everyone to keep up with the studies. And also, the older studies are getting lost in the fray of new studies. Mm -hmm. So, um, of course, you know that building upon knowledge is really important in this uh, discovery of truth, right? Mm -hmm. And it's fair to point out that this paper should also also be analyzed um, because it's just one single study. And the researchers mainly looked at very broad fields like chemistry and medicine, Indeed, trust but verify, right? It all comes back around yes. to that. So, uh, so again, this uh, episode wasn't, it's not about, you know, doubt everything. <laughs> doubt every study that comes out. Doubt every uh, bit, bit of uh, science journalism that uh, comes across your desk. But it's, it's, all, it's all information that's worth keeping in mind when you do engage with these studies. Uh, and, and something that, you know, that, that we like to keep in mind, uh, you know, when we look at these studies in our research. Yeah, and we thought that this was pertinent information, especially when you consider how much data we are taking in every single day mm-hmm. and all of the headlines that are connected to these studies and where they're coming from and how they're being parsed out. Indeed. Hey, in the meantime, if you want to check out uh, more episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind, uh, most of which in- involve scientific studies of one type or another, uh, you can head on over to StuffToBlowYourMind.com where you will find uh, all those podcast episodes, all those videos, all those blog posts, you name it. And we know some of you are out there toiling away in the fields, in the labs, uh, scientific researchers. Do you have thoughts about this? Uh, if so, we would love to hear from you. And you can email us at BlowTheMindAtHowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top ten for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. 
Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hello, iHeart listener. We have a confession to make. Both iHeart and this commercial you're listening to right now would probably sound a heck of a lot better on the new Roku Pro Series TV. It's got side-firing speakers that fill your room with sound, Dolby Atmos audio that puts you right in the middle of the entertainment, and the ability to pair seamlessly with your home theater sound systems that already have surround sound and booming bass. If all that sounds too good to be true, it'll sound even better on the new Roku Pro Series. Your hearing isn't better. Your TV is. 